This is Halloween, or is it making Christmas? Why not both? We'll find out on this episode of Doing Disney as we walk through the holiday door in the tree and enter the world of the nightmare before Christmas. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to this week's episode of Doing Disney. Today we're talking about Nightmare Before Christmas, and I have with me the incomparable Nazari Montenegro. Nazari, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Let's go. Start at the beginning. The Nightmare Before Christmas, released in 1993 with the vocal talents of Chris Sarandon and Danny Elfman, providing the speaking and singing voice for Jack Skellington, respectively. Catherine O'Hara as Sally, William Hickey as Dr. Finkelstein, and Ken Page as Oogie Boogie. It tells the story of Jack Skellington, who successfully leads the Halloween Town festivities each year, yet in his own words, has grown so tired of the same old thing. While walking through the woods, he comes across trees containing doors to various other holiday-themed realms. The door with the Christmas tree catches his eye as he turns the knob, peers in, and is whisked away by a flurry of snow. Upon exploring Christmas Town and seeing all the various festivities, Jack returns to Halloween Town to explain to the other residents about the holiday. When he struggles to truly understand Christmas, he decides that Halloween Town shall be the ones to run the holiday this year. Jack delegates jobs to the citizens, including Sally, who pines for Jack but has a premonition of disaster for her friend, to sew him a Santa Claus suit and entrusts Lock, Shuck and Barrel to kidnap the Santa Claus. However, Instead of keeping Santa somewhere safe, they take him to Mr. Oogie Boogie Man. While Sally attempts to rescue Santa and wants to avoid Jack's plans for Christmas coming to fruition, she too is captured. Jack and his skeletal reindeer, led by trusty sidekick Zero, set off to deliver presents to all the children in the real world. The only issue is that his presents crafted by residents from Halloween Town, such as shrunken heads and giant snakes that eat all the other presents. As parents contact the police, horrified with what is happening, he is brought down out of the sky. Reflecting on his experience of something new, he finds he reignites his love of Halloween, returns to Halloween Town to rescue Sally and Santa from Oogie Boogie and reconciles with them both. In the end, Santa brings a little Christmas magic to Halloween Town as Jack and Sally end the film together as they are truly meant to be. Tale as old as time. So, Nightmare Before Christmas, Nazaru, what are your first memories of the film? Well, uh, this is kind of a weird one because, you know, since I live in Central America, we do not, you didn't used to get like the big releases right away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I literally got movies like the next year. And especially things like this that are weird and quirky. Yes. Nobody knows. So I didn't watch this in the theater at all. I actually got it as a present from an uncle when he went to Disney World in 93 late 93 i think oh wow he saw it and he was like yeah this looks fun <laughs> take it i was like huh that's that's what you brought me like a movie you have never heard of or seen just because <laughs> it has a skeleton on the cover so i was like okay and i watched it knowing nothing about it so i, was, I know you're a big tim burton fan so this wasn't a, like oh i like tim burton i'm gonna check out his next thing this was like a going and blind nice surprise honestly uh, I was in the proto-Burton fan era. I was 12 years old in 1993. Yep. So I was like Batman. because Yes. Was Batman. Batman. Yes. Who directed this? He's my favorite director. <laughs> Fantastic. Just because he did Batman. And then I watched uh, Edward Scissorhands and I was like, ooh, interesting. So I think I saw Beetlejuice maybe. I'm not even sure if I saw Beetlejuice before Nightmare. But I definitely had seen Edward Scissorhands and Batman. So I was like in that group. So when I saw the name, I was like, yeah, this is going to be interesting. And like everybody else in the world, I assume he directed it for like 10 years. <laughs> well, when it says Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, it's, you do kind of think that's his, his baby, his project. <laughs> yeah. So I actually was pretty excited when I popped it. I was like, okay. He, it was like a complete coincidence that he actually got a director I like, but I'm going to watch it. <laughs> and then I, my mind was just, Bro, from like the first scene, like the music, 
the title screen comes in, the zoom into the trees, and oh man, uh, just the narration. Who's who's the narrator? I actually never looked that up. Who's the voice of the narrator in Nightmare? It's not Vincent Price, no? is it? It was a long time ago, longer now that it's <laughs> in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams. Oh, it could be you. Right That's on. a great impression. Dude, I was like, <laughs> yes, tell me the story. I want it. And then it just goes right into Halloween Town. Bum, 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 oh, that, bum, that ah. music. We're going to have to talk about I was, score I so was much. All in. I was oh, all yeah. in. And I didn't even see that. I didn't even realize the first time I watched it that the sign is Jack Skellington. Like pointing you to Halloween Town, on and then he like, yeah, I'm not gonna take this off. I'm just gonna burn it. <laughs> Great. First time I watched it, I didn't realize it. And it, the other thing that blew my mind, like, is like how uh, still to this day, I have seen a lot of uh, how they made this movie. Yes. Backstage stuff, but I still never know how they did the the ghosts, the shadows, oh, and the, yeah. the figures. So that is just that is amazing. Like, this is 2021. And that movie is 20 years old. 1980. 30 years old. I'm old. 30 years old. And I still am amazed when I see the ghost. And like, how the hell did they? This is an actual set. I imagine they animated over the film or something. But still pretty impressive. Was this your first time watching something stop motion? It's my first experience with a long form stop motion. Mm -hmm. I am pretty sure uh, when I was in the, like, you know, kids of the 80s, we used to get in local TV, those are uh, uh, reindeer, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, yes, things, yes. And the one with uh, Santa, wait, not Santa, Jack Frost, I think. Yes. Made of ice. Yeah. Do you remember the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special? I have not seen it, being an Australian. We are not big on the, the snow and the Christmasy movies. I think that's more an American thing. But I, I have seen the pictures. I live it. in Central America. <laughs> but I you're closer in proximity. Have, yeah, but it's hot as shit. We do not get snow. We're it's going to be 44 degrees this Christmas. I, I've only seen snow, like, in my life once. I spent mm -hmm. one Christmas in 1998 in Canada. <laughs> Are you a more of a Halloween or a Christmas fan? Oh, definitely Halloween. Like, yeah, that's um, Halloween is my just my jam. That's the one I do. That's the one I like. Buy the costumes, set up the house and stuff. For Christmas, I'm like, ah, okay, let's bring in the tree again. And uh, I have to carry the tree. I have to stand the tree. My wife wants me to help her decorate it. It's just a whole thing. But when the house is already decked up like it is now, I'm like. Okay, I get it. It's nice. But I, I don't know. It's a lot of work. And then in January, you have to get rid of the tree. I live in an apartment. That is not easy. But, <laughs> so you're using you know, live, live uh, trees, live Christmas trees. Yeah, we, we buy the trees. They actually, oh, like, that's they nice. Ship, they ship them from Canada. Like there's a couple of places <laughs> that, that like resell them here. I have my, my one picked up because it's the only one in the city that actually like keeps them in a cooler all the all the the way through and they set up in them in the coolers here oh, and wow. they just take them out when people are going to buy them so it's a little more expensive i think you pay like 75 bucks for a tree oh wow so so yeah because there are other people they sell like 30 bucks three but you see that tree just like half dead like <laughs> yes. they show you a green side and they flip it and it's brown like yeah <laughs> no like <laughs> i actually <laughs> once accidentally bought a painted tree like I was always like, oh, this looks pretty green. I like it. And I bought it. And then when I yeah. got home, my wife was like, this, this has been spray painted, man. Like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah, the guy swindled me. They sold me a dead tree painted Aww. green. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Trees. But actually, the, the reason I ask is because um, in that uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special, yeah. Santa is a dick. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Oh, now that I need to see so, it. That is so rough. Like, first of all, the, the kid is born with a red nose, right? Yep. And his dad is like immediately ashamed of it. <laughs> Hide in the corner. You cannot tell them you're my son. I was like, what is happening? And he paints it black. Like he makes him go to school with his <laughs> nose painted. He starts talking like this, you know, because it's, it's like. And then 
he starts and he's like the the head honcho with Santa. He's like the the, the, the top reindeer. And Santa's like, hey, your, your kid is going to pull my sleigh one day. It's going to be good. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then uh, when it's revealed, Santa's like, can lie to me? You do it when I put that in my, in my sleigh? Exile! A shame on you and your family. Dishonor! <laughs> dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that's rough. That's rough to hear. <laughs> that's going to be a rough message. Watch. And then immediately when he becomes useful, he's like, oh, we love you all along, man. Come back. Ah, uh, not that, that short, man. I, I cannot deal with those. Uh, those are the ranking bass things, right? Like, now, they they're not good. People love them, but they're not good. I, th- I think people love the nostalgia of it. If you've seen it on TV as a kid, that's that's sort of what you love. I I mean, I did, and I don't. <laughs> like, the Island of Lost Toys, though, cool place. Okay. Shows up in one of those. I don't remember which one, but cool place. <laughs> Well, um, my first memories is a little bit harder because um, I was born in 91, so obviously I didn't see it in theatres and I probably remember seeing it on TV mid-90s-ish and just being too young for it. I think the stop motion is, is a little bit creepy. Um, Dr. Finkelstein's definitely with the head pops open. And I was like, nope, shut it down. <laughs> Nightmares, wasn't having it. And I think my mum was even like, yeah, nah, let's let's change the channel. But um, You know, for... For that guy, like for the longest time, I, I I knew the voice and I couldn't place the actor. Yeah. And I, you know, when I finally did. When? Have you seen that that romantic comedy with uh, Billy Crystal called Forget Paris? No. 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 He plays his father-in-law. Okay. But the guy is like he has some form of dementia. Okay. So the only thing he does nonstop is when they're driving in the car, he's reading signs from different brands, like Texaco, Toyota, you know, whatever. And then he, when he's home, he just keeps repeating the same line oh. over and over again. That is, a, that, that is like a slogan from Toyota. And, and Billy Crystal is just going insane. Like, but when he starts saying you ask for it, you got it. I was going to say, Toyota. is it the same voice? It's the same yeah. Dr. Finkelstein voice? Because I've never as heard soon him, as he him does, act. Like, so. I heard that, like, you ask for it, you got it. And I was like, God, it's Finkelstein. <laughs> then he kept repeating and repeating. I was like, oh, my God. It was great. <laughs> I actually love that. I, I, did, I did miss it because in theaters, I mean, I already owned it in VHS. Mm-hmm. But they, I think they dropped it like in 94 in theaters here. And the other thing is that they didn't call it The Nightmare Before Christmas. They just call it Jack's Strange World. What? Yeah. I can hear my echo. I'm just going, what? Because <laughs> that, is, that is Jack's Strange World. Because I remember you saying The Rescuers Down Under is Bianca and Bernard in Kangaroo Land. Is that the one? That is classic. Yes. I love that. But Jack's Strange yeah. World for the Nightmare Before Christmas, not the same effect, my friend. I know. It's a, it was that weird thing in the, in the 80s and 90s where everything had to be like a thing. Like, for example, like I make fun of this in my channel all, all the time. Like, if it was a comedy, it had to be a question. Like, oh, yes. airplane, airplane, where's the pilot? <laughs> like, naked gun, where's the cop? Where's the cop? Like everything that those are the titles that works for those spoof movies, though. <laughs> uh, well, I guess my um my first proper memories is we got cable about two thousand four, two thousand five. So this was streaming on Disney Channel at the time, and this is like prime Kelly emo phase with the Emily the Strange wardrobe and the haircut and the listening to the Mike and Romance Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge on the iPod, that sort of era. So Hot Topic was like pumping out the Jack Skellington merchandise. So like it was it was right there for me. So they still this, are. They, they still are. Still? Wow. Yeah. You, you go to Hot Topic. It's still, it's still neither. Because it's it's like it's iconic, you know, it's that skeleton with the big grin, like it's it's just never gonna go away. It's, it's always going to like pass on to those generations, I think. But um, that's that's my first memories is watching it on Disney Channel and being like, this is creepy. This is cool. I'm now sort of similar to ages when you saw it, where like I can appreciate this as something very different. 
and also coming from like the Tim Burton and and the Batman probably Batman Returns more because that's that's the creepier one like it's actually um, in Disney Plus they have now the one of the one of the documentaries where they were making the making of the movie mm. and I learned this year that really Tim Burton wasn't that involved in Nightmare like hands on because oh. he was filming he was filming Batman Returns at the same time. Oh, because so, I feel like I've seen the pictures of him and Henry Selick, like, placing the models yeah, and things like that. I mean, like it's not like the guy wasn't there at all. But, you know, <laughs> but it just, it just seems like he's, he's more part of it than what it was. He wrote, uh, the, he wrote the treatment that became the book later, and he named somebody, I forgot who was it, basically the producer, and he sent them there. And basically everything was done by phone. And he went there, like, every two weeks, because he was so busy shooting Batman Returns that he only like, basically had to trust blindly what they were doing. And one of the, the times he visited, apparently he was so pissed at what he was seeing that he kicked the wall for some. Like, wow. this is horrible. And they were like, trust the process, dude. Like, in the end, I actually think it's, it's a very weird thing to say because there's no movie that's more Tim Burton than The Night of the <laughs> But... Yeah. I think it's one of those cases that, like, he had the idea, he had the concept, he approved all the designs, but probably worked out better that he wasn't there. For the execution, like, oh, I, I can say that. Yes. Because that is such a painstaking process yes. that if you do not realize that, like, and you're very dismissive of people's, like, hard work, like, they took a week to film, like, a minute. Oh. And, and then, like, you come in, it's like, that minute sucks. Dude, no. Especially um, when it's the early 90s and you're on a hot streak with the Batman's franchise yeah. and things like that and you've got other things in the pipeline, it probably is better to hand that off to someone else to, yeah, execute your vision. Basically, like, uh, Disney also was very iffy on it because they, they just dropped it in touchdown pictures because they were like, well, this is weird. This is I don't think Disney can be in this, so let's just put toast on it and see what happens. Yeah, it, it doesn't align with the brand. For a long time, I didn't realize it was a Disney. I think playing Kingdom Hearts, I was like, oh, yeah, it really is part this of the is, Disney properties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and they started doing the Haunted Mansion with the Nightmare Before Christmas skin in, in California, which is actually, I, I really want to do that. Yeah. But they don't do it in, in Florida for some reason. They, I guess they, they don't want to. I don't know. But it's, a, it's an interesting concept for me because I love the Haunted Mansion. But yeah, I think uh, he's, he kind of understood what it was after the movie was done because the next time he tried that with Corpse Bride, it was like 12 years later, yes. he still wasn't sure enough, so he got a co-director. So that movie is the only one he's co-directed with somebody. And then he, he's like, okay, you show me the mechanical part and I'll do the, my, the directing thing. And then finally with Frank and Winnie, he was like, okay, I can do this. Which I think it's for the best because I do believe out of those three, Nightmare is definitely the best one for me. But I think Frank and Winnie like reflects that he learned from the process and, and maybe he was like more, more able to develop a vision. Absolutely. I think Corpse Bride is not, it's good, but it's kind of the rougher one of the three. Agreed. And, and, yeah, you can see, like, the love of um, monster movies and film and him having the Frank and Weenie poem from way back in the 80s to ex finally, like, be able to do that in the 2010s is, is Have you seen great. the short? The, the I have not. Short? Is that with the live-action-y sort of one? Yeah, it's 40 It's in my recommended. Long. Yeah. Worth it? it yeah, it's, it's very worth it. I actually, it, it's one of those things, like, I love that short. I love two things from the 80s, Tim Burton shorts, what so much the... That one is 40, about 40 minutes long. And Vincent, which is like five minutes. Have you seen Vincent? No. I, I have that one on YouTube somewhere. I'll send it to send you. Yes, please. But uh, the Frank and Winnie one, I liked so much that when I saw the movie, I was like pumped. I was like, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be animated. And then the first time I watched it, I, I didn't love it. And I was like, because obviously if you have a short that is 40 minutes long, you have a story and then you have to make it a movie an hour and 30 minutes, you have to add stuff. Yes. So basically, the whole thing uh, with the neighbors and with the other kids and all the monsters coming to back to life in the end, that is all the added stuff. Oh, okay. The movie, the, the short basically was the same story, 
uh, up till he uh, resurrects the, the dot, Sparky. Some people see it. People freak out, pick up their fork, the you know pitchforks and stuff, and follow Sparky, and he goes to the cemetery, to the mill, and it burns down. It's basically like skips to the end. But I don't know. I felt the first time the other stuff wasn't like as involved for me. Like I didn't. It's just supplementary. Like it. it was just like filler, feel like, like padding it out. Extra filler. Yes. Yeah. But then when I started rewatching, I was like, okay, this is very fun. This is homage. This is he brought in Godzilla. He brought in a bunch of other yes. stuff. I like. So I appreciated it more. All right. Nice. Good stuff. It's my favorite part because you'll see. Well, Nazaro, what's your favorite scene from Nightmare Before Christmas? Uh, my favorite scene, I think, is definitely uh, when Jack is in the in the tower trying to figure out what Christmas is. Why is like, that? Be, because uh, there's something, and, I, and it goes mixed uh, with song, with Jack's obsession. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know, like it's when you get to that point where I know I love this. I know I do. I just don't know why. And then the way he tries to figure it out, you see the scientific, the scientific like, uh, yes. <laughs> method. Like, uh, and, and then small details, like he's trying to do like a, a snowflake with paper. He cuts it up and when he opens it, it's a spider. Love, like, it. Love it. <laughs> crushing the, crushing the, the, bubbles. the balls yep. from the tree. Yeah, like, interesting reaction. But what does it mean? <laughs> and it's getting more and more frustrated. And I, when he finally, uh, in the end, realizes like it's just a feeling. Like Christmas is happiness. It, you just you cannot prove it. You just feel it in the air. Mm-hmm. And it's just so good. And that song, man, that song is underrated. People don't don't talk about that one as much. Is that because uh, it's Jack's one of the shorter special. ones? Yeah, fair. I guess it suffers from the same as like Sally's song, the songs that last like a minute. Yeah. But I, I do like, I do love that scene so much. And, and then everybody is like, something's wrong with Jack, something's wrong with Jack. The chorus, the chorus is great throughout the movie. Oh, there's the, there's the shot where the, where the vampires are the, doing the chorus thing and hope he doesn't die, something's wrong with Jack. And then yes. the song comes out. And they like in sync go like this, and they go out of frame as soon as the light is coming in, and then the the werewolves shows up. It's just shows great. It's beautifully animated. And they really like gave each um, character such an interesting, iconic design. So um, when they're on the screen and the way they move and things like that is very um, engaging. I think it's part of the charm of the stop animation, the fact that mm-hmm. it's not quite fluid mm-hmm, yet mm-hmm. lifelike like it, it starts it, it's like they when they did the original king kong like um a lot of people said it it was creepy because since he was full of hair his hair was kind of crawling during the whole movie and it was just because you no know, it's hair people move him a bit move him a bit the hair moves too yes. so that that gave it the eerie effect like the hair was always crawling and it's, it's something that it's not natural, but it's very lifelike. And I think that is the effect that most creatures in this film, because the proportions are way off. Like, everything oh, yeah. is insane. The vampires, like, there's the fat-ass vampire. <laughs> I'm like, why is this? And the gigantic head on the witches with the yes. big nose. Yes. And, and some creatures, I don't even know what they were supposed to be. The, the bald guy with the axe on his head. What is that? Like, other than a scary thing, like... He was like playing it dumb. By the way, like I was this close to saying that's my favorite quote when the, the Easter Bunny shows up and he starts smelling him. He just was like, Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, those those designs are so so unique. Yes. And it's like he doesn't he doesn't even like make anything similar to each other. There's like three vampires and they're all very distinct. Yeah, no designs are throwaway. There's nothing duplicated. Like each one has it has its own features. It's it's very well done. And it does like uh, some things that don't make sense, but yet they still do. Like Jack, Jack blinks. He's a skeleton. <laughs> he doesn't have eyelids, but he blinks. Yeah, it, it's adorable. 
I like it. <laughs> well, um, my favourite scene. I try not to throw out the word iconic sort of haphazardly, but I do think the shot of Jack on Spiral Hill with the moonlight behind him, like that is an iconic moment in animation because as we were sort of saying, you hadn't seen the long form of that before and the contrast of the moon to him and the tall spindly figure is, is fantastic and we still don't sort of see things like that and the unfolding of the spiral. So awesome Jack's lament. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that's... So, and the thing just keeps going slowly oh, yeah. like this. So when I think of the film, I guess that's my sort of first thoughts. That's what stands out the most, especially the, as we're saying, Jackson Man with the unfolding of the spiral. But also I think my favourite line in that is, and since I'm dead, I can take off my head to recite Shakespearean quotation. And it's just that perfect matchup of those clever lyrics with the animation, seeing him actually take off his head and do the, the Shakespearean. It's, it's fantastic. But I actually love Danny Elfman's way to interpret that because oh, yeah. he has so much range. Oh, and yeah. And then he just goes to, he goes immediately from to recite Shakespearean quotations to no animal or man can scream like I can. And then he goes like soft, oh, then, like the, the dynamics in that, just like that little snippet of the song was fantastic. But um, the scene I will choose is the ending. Because I'm a little bit of a romantic, so I like the ending when you're mixing the what's this with the, the this is Halloween. We have Sally. She has she picks up a bit of tree branch and it doesn't burn. So she goes to sit on Spiral Hill alone and you start hearing that, that um, Sally song, Leitmotif, start playing and Jack comes up and says, um, my dearest friend, if you don't mind, I'd like to join you by your side. I just, I think that's so romantic and more reflective of what real love is, not to be overly cliche, but you do, it's about friendship and enjoying the company of the one you're with. So rather than being like, oh, it's going to be so hard when I have to defend Sleeping Beauty, but the whole once upon a dream, I've just met you, that sort of fairy tale. It's so different to that where um, it starts as an unrequited love from Sally. So when Jack finally does does come around at the end it feels a bit more earned and the fact that at the end it's such a a small sweet moment because then it hits credits it's not drawn out I think that's really well done so the ending when they like wrap their arms around each other that's sweet that is uh the one of the things that always stood out for me about the way they were marketing this especially in the 2000s when Hot Topic was pushing for it yeah because they kept trying to make it more of a love story than the movie actually is that is true I think it's I think it is basically what what you said, like she's unrequited love because he's just he's not even paying attention to her. He always cares for her, mm-hmm. that he as a friend. But his mind is like single focus on this Christmas thing. It's like he's obsessed. <laughs> he's obsessed, yes. And then he's like, ah, something is missing. She's like, something's not right. And he's like, is the hat? No, that's not the hat, man. Come on. But then it's not until the very end when he realizes why she was doing all this effort and why she was worried about him because you know she cared yeah and yeah it's just it's a very sweet moment with the snow and the frozen spiral hill and but then you 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 know i just i just got a pair of boxers you know underwear yeah and i was like i want nightmare uh, nightmare before christmas uh, underwear so i googled it and the only thing i could find was one that had jack and sally and a bunch of hearts i was like (laughs) Okay. I mean, technically, yeah, but yeah, for where all, is the other stuff? For all the Halloween merchandise this year, there was there was a lot of, like, the T-shirts with the Jack and the Sally and Simply Meant to Be and things like that on it. So, yeah. My, my, they my are sister loved that view. Like, that, that's her take on it. And she loves Sally. She actually bought a, a Sally dress that is literally oh, a, a, a ragdoll dress. Yes. She, like, for Halloween, she puts makeup and stuff. It's, like, it's great. You ain't never had a friend like me. Who was your favourite character? We have an impressive cast, a lot of strong designs like Jack Skellington, Sally Oogie Boogie, Zero, Lock Shock and Barrel, or The Mayor. Those are the sort of ones that stand out to me. Is there, what's your favourite one? I think it's a, it's a particular question because if you ask me straight up who the best character is in the film, mm-hmm. it's definitely Sally. Yes. I think it's uh, it's as much as her story as it is Jack's 
because she's always she's she was born she was created and then she just had this inquisitive nature and he just she yearns to be free and she yearns to be able to love and, and make things for her own. but i don't know maybe because they, they, i didn't grow into love, loving that part of her character until later because of you know it's not the first level the movie has many layers and that is like second third layer when you realize like okay this is a very important character that kind of drives the plot too yes as like a favorite thing based like the sign and voice straight up ah, it's Dr. <laughs> for me I mean, wow that is just that is his, that is the classic uh mad scientist character yes and it has that that design on the face that looks like kind of like mr burns a little oh bit. i see it yes <laughs> And the, like you said, the, the the thing with the brain where he's like covering the, the middle and then he plate scratches and he just like raises up and scratches it. <laughs> and and the and I he's such a, like a, he's kind of the smartest and dumbest person at the same time <laughs> because he keeps getting outsmarted by a rag doll. And then he gets up and and I like that also like he he moves on from it because mm-hmm. at some point he just like okay. I, I cannot control this and it's not the right thing to do. So I'll just do something else. Mm-hmm. And he decides, which is actually very subtle too, because he was doing the, the reindeers. He was doing the skeleton reindeers. He's in that during that montage where he's like giving them life and stuff that he grabs one of the, the skulls and he's like, huh, it's kind of looks like him a bit. He's like, okay, maybe I'll try something else. And then he realized that the best thing to, you know, find someone you can share your life with is someone yeah. that is your equal. And yeah. what a better way to make an equal than just share half a brain. He's, he's actually like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a pure gut call, but like mm-hmm. maybe Sally is the overall better character. And Jack has the hero's journey, if you can call it that in a story kind of like this, anti-hero journey, I guess. And he's the one who has the realization and stuff. And, oh, well, heck, I went and did my best. And I was like, oh, okay. But it's like on a pure gut, gut level to me, it's Dr. Frequency. Oh, fantastic. Um, I've always enjoyed the character of the mayor with his little microphone and the switching of the two faces. We were talking about character design. Like, I think that is just genius. It's an excellent voice. Yes. Yes. So that, that design and the, the panic in his voice, like, it's, it's fantastic. Um, it's only the second episode, but I'd say, like, nine times out of ten, I'm going to pick the female lead. And I do adore Sally. We've talked about her already, and she's a, a great character throughout the film. She's sweet, yet she's wily, how she uses the slotted spoon to outsmart Finkelstein, and she's the voice of reason throughout the film. But I'm going to go with Jack because I do find his joy for Christmas just absolutely infectious so we talked about like is it a Halloween movie is it a Christmas movie that sort of thing I it's both it is I usually watch it around November because I'm still excited from Halloween but it gets me just for Christmas so it's like the best of both worlds so uh with Jack a lot of times we sort of we just touched on the hero's journey and your lead character's a blank slate you know it's your audience proxy And a lot of times in the Disney movie, it's outshined by a comic relief character or a side character or a domineering villain. I don't think your your lead for a lot of Disney films is generally the favourite, but that's what makes Jack so exciting because you can empathise with him at the beginning of the film how he's stuck in a rut. You know, we've all sort of been there and you need to change it up and you need to do something different. But he has... Very selfish motives. He's a very selfish character. <laughs> he does yes, not have, have pure good Christmas intentions, but he does it with such glee when he's delivering the presents to the kids, the horrific presents, and he's just so excited and he's slay and he meets the kid and oh, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. So he, that's, that's for me like another level of this stuff, like because he's honest to God believes that he's, he's doing, doing the right doing thing great stuff yes like, who wouldn't love a shrunken head who wouldn't love a giant snake that eats christmas trees this is like the best thing you could ever get like this is present. what i want why wouldn't you want it yeah 
it's and and it's everything is like that and that is what also makes it like very subtle to me like because so like at some point um when i was watching it for the first time with my wife uh, when we were younger she was like i don't understand the the geography of this situation like where where is this where where are they right now and i'm like oh because you know there are the the, whole, the holiday downs are like outside of reality and there's yes. actually the real world so where he goes is where we are he comes here Flies, he's, he, she thought for a second they were in Christmas Town. I was like, no, no, it's not Christmas Town. Christmas Town is just North Pole. And Halloween Town is just Halloween Town. And I I don't even know how like July 4th works. That's, <laughs> just fireworks all the time. They're just supposed to prep for 364 days and then just go to the real world in that last day. <laughs> so, yeah, like it gets confusing a bit because he's doing things that to him are beautiful noble beautiful gestures and he yes. definitely thinks he's improving christmas you know because just like you said that is actually i don't even know like i think you said what that's one of the questions maybe what is the favorite quote listen well all of you what like my favorite quote actually is the end of jack's obsession okay like when he says uh, uh well i can have a christmas tree and there's no reason i can find I couldn't have a Christmas time, but I didn't, and I bet it could improve it too. And that's exactly what I'll do because he's so full of himself. Oh yeah. That he's like, okay, I get you Christmas. I like it. it I want to do, I'm going to try it, but I'm going to make it better because I'm going to make it Jack. I'm going to make it the thing I like and everybody else is going to love it as much as me. And that's kind of what you're saying. Like he's very selfish. Well, but and he's also been it. so successful as the Pumpkin King. He is the king of, of Halloween Town. He's never done anything wrong. Everyone comes to him for his judgment. So why wouldn't he be automatically awesome at Christmas? He's got the suit. He's got the beard. He knows what he's doing. So I think it, it's that hubris that he's got. Yeah. The one thing I, I really I never really quite understood is the logistics of the trouble. But I mean, that is kind of like a fantasy thing. You have to let it go. Because, for example, the movie opens like, this is the forest. These are the doors. Mm-hmm. And you go to the door and you, you're immediately dropping Halloween Town, right? So he walks back to the trees. And when he shows up, he doesn't go through the door. He just shows up and finds trees. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that works because then he comes back from Christmas Town the same way. Now, he doesn't, I don't think he goes back to the door of Halloween. He just like, I don't know if it's like a world where the towns are like all separated in different places and they like everybody can access the trees in the middle. Yeah, it's like a video actually... game world where you walk to the edge of your world and that's it. And then just all of a sudden you stop moving. Like a hub, <laughs> like the trees yeah. are the hub. I, mean, I, I don't know that. Part. And it actually is something that always kind of left me like, huh, because I think you can think, show a little bit more of that maybe and it doesn't leave you hanging. But with the years... I mean, this is this is my favorite animated movie of all time, so I just let it go. Where did it rank on your top one hundred? Uh, it was top ten. Yeah. I don't I don't remember exactly. Was it eleven or ten? But it was it was up there. I think I still have that list. Well, um, you said your favorite quote. Mine is, and it's become a meme at this point, and I love it. It's only three hundred and sixty-five days until next Halloween. 364, that awesome werewolf with the cool plaid shirt comes up, 364, because I think that encapsulates, well, it's, they're saying it for Halloween, but at least for me for Christmas, like every Boxing Day, I'm like, oh, I was 364 days till next Christmas. Like it's that joy and sadness at the same time. Like you've just had this great day, but it's still so far away until the next time. So, By the way, um, Canada also does the Boxing Day thing. I remember because in that one Christmas I was there, they were like, don't buy stuff for Christmas. Boxing Day, they have all the best deals. So like, boxing Day sales. What the hell is Boxing Day? <laughs> what the hell is Boxing Day? Like the day after. I was like, huh. So if I actually live here, it would be great because my birthday is the 26th. So uh-huh. I would have sales every year on my birthday. And then you wouldn't be getting the things like leftover for Christmas. Do you find that hard having a birthday in December? Do you find like you're not getting as many presents because people just go, well, this is for Christmas? Uh, or do they differentiate you know the, it? You mean the dreaded two-for-ones? Oh, yeah. Like, that's what here I'm is your, your, your 
present for Christmas slash birthday. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like everyone except my parents my and my wife, basically. Oh, that's nice. That's my like sister sometimes. <laughs> Other days she gets lazy. Yeah, it was my number 10, actually. Nice. I just found it. Number 10, Nightmare Before Christmas. Number nine, Finish Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990. Number eight, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Number seven, Babe, Pig in the City. Number oh, six, don't. Groundhog Day. No, shut it down there. Cut that off. <laughs> Babe, Pig in the City. I love that movie. I, I, I have no idea how much I love that movie. Five, Almost Famous. Four, Bing Jong Malkovich. Three, Magnolia. Two, Ghostbusters. And number one, Back to the Future. I think you made the case for most. That's fine. One song. I have put one song. So, Nazaro, what is your favorite song from the film? I don't know if it's also a cliche, but I think I would have to go with Jack's Lament. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's the setup, you know, and it, it's so, it's one of the few that are actually like elaborate long enough that go through phases. Mm-hmm. Like I actually considered for a brief moment putting in uh, what's this because it's a lot of fun and I love the, the way the music changes there's people throwing snowballs instead of throwing hats you know that that part is like lovely but Jack's Lament just, just starts there are few who deny at what I do I am the best and my name is renowned far and wide For a guy in Kentucky, I am Mr. Unlucky, and I'm known throughout England and France. The England, I love that. It's those little touches, yeah. like you were saying with Danny Elfman. It's the way he articulates the, the words. It's, It's fantastic. Like the whole first half of the song, he's just talking about how great he is. <laughs> and then he just switches. And he goes, oh, there's an empty place in my bones. And I'm like, I'm in love with you. I'm in love with this song. And ah, it's just, even like the use of bones instead of, because like most songs would be like in my heart or in my soul, but it's in his bones because he's the skeleton. Like it's those little yeah. touches, very smart lyrics in that song. Yeah, that the way it ends, like, he's empty tears. And like, I understand exactly what you mean, Jack. <laughs> like that song is a ride, like the whole thing. But the, honestly, like this is like picking between your children. It's like everything. I, I don't think there's a bad song in the bunch. Oh, I definitely It's think this is one of the hardest to choose from because like even other yeah. classic soundtracks you think of from Disney, like Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin, you enjoy a lot of the songs and there's a lot of good ones, but you would still maybe pick like a top two. You would always have a top two or a top favorite. But this one, like I've got a top four between This Is Halloween, Jack's Lament, What's This and Sally's Song. And Sally's Song is kind of like the, the mirror of this. And mm. I, the only reason I don't, don't put it in is because it's like 30 seconds long. It's it's a minute 30 or something like that. And it, it is the one I'm choosing uh, because, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Um, I feel like this is Halloween and what's this and Jack's Lament, like those are the three bangers that come straight after each other. So like that is a good chunk of songs and that gets you primed for the movie and they're maybe more representative. But Sally's song is the one I've probably re-listened to the most. It is short, but it's so soft and delicate And it's it's more simple but winsome and sad in a relatable way. So we've talked about the unrequited love and I think the lyrics are so cutting in this one. Which is just, it's raw. It's like, does, she know, does he notice my feelings for him? Um, it'll simply not, it's not meant to be for I am not the one. And then she wraps her sad arms around herself. And I think that the vocal on it is just so sweet and, and uh... tender. And the dead band playing in the, the background. The band, how it starts, and she literally does the dance like no one's watching and starts twirling around in the street. Oh, it's great. In in the wind, yes. Ah, yeah, it's a great song. I do like like a sad female song, very um like On My Own from Les Mis, like those sorts of vibes, the unrequited love song. I think that's that's great. By the way, they butchered that in the movie, in the, in the one with Hugh Jackman. That's like, ah, that's so... That movie, man. Why? Okay. <laughs> And I mean, if I had to like, you're you're right because it's like it's really hard to say because there's no bad songs in this soundtrack. Like, yes. oh, another movie. I do, another I do movie. not like Kidnap the Santa Claus. 
That one grates on me. I do not like that one. I find the I la, actually, la 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 no. I and there's not enough there. Like uh, what I was gonna say is like for another movie like I like my out of Disney animated movies my Hunchback of Notre Dame is my favorite by far. For this one I would say uh, I actually really like Kidnapping Santa Claus. The one I would actually put as the lowest and it's not even a bad song is a uh, Doogie Boogie song. I was gonna, that's in my notes as well. Like I like it, but it doesn't reach the tier of the others. I find it a little generic villainy song, but the vocals yeah. is great. Like I love the Oogie Boogie voice. And actually that leads Ooh, perfectly. I'm really scared. Oh, it's great. That leads perfectly into my next question. This is your badness level. How evil is the villain? And this one is a little more complex because really, who is the villain? You can make the argument, is it okay, is it chat for ruining Christmas? But we'll go with the traditional definition of an antagonist and say Oogie Boogie is the greater villain of the film. You know that uh, Oogie Boogie is not even in the original story of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Really? I have the I have two copies, actually, the, of the Tim Burton book that he made, like the storybook that we, he has the chicken scratches that he calls drawings, you know? But the Doogie Boogie doesn't even appear. Like they, it's something that they use for the movie to, you know, expand on the theme. Like he basically just takes over for Santa Claus without kidnapping him. Then Santa Claus shows up later. Like what the hell? What are you doing? And then you know fixes it and brings him back and snows on Halloween time. I like Doogie Boogie. I do. I like. I'm the shadow on the moon at night. I, I like that part. And I love the concept. That he's just a bag of bugs. Bag of bugs. I like, love gambling. And he keeps like he eats more and more bugs, and the bugs just become part of him. Like he absorbs them, and then, but he needs that burlap sack to keep them all together. Yep. I, I really like it in concept, but and like the stitching evil. and things like that. Well, that's my question. He 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 loves just... torture. He tortures Santa Claus, and yeah. It just enjoys causing pain. I think he wants, he hates being second fiddle to Jack. So he wants to change Halloween from more fun and spooky to more, yeah, just hurting people. But and he my, loves to gamble, but he loves cheating. Yeah, guys. Bam. <laughs> but we talked about the bugs and things like that. And he's obviously not in the original story. So then what is his plan with the Santa? I don't quite understand it. I, I honestly, I do not know. Like, they were just supposed to hold Santa for a bit. Mm-hmm. They they straight up told them not to put them in the Oogie Boogie, and then they did anyway. By the <laughs> way, those those three, Shock, Lock, and Barrel, yeah, they got off easy like those kids. <laughs> those were I agree. They needed some reprimanding. I, I I don't know. Like I don't even know what the really plan was. And honestly, he was kind of easily defeated too. Santa steps on the main bug, and I was like, "Yep, Oogie Boogie's gone." So but when they're dangling Santa and Sally, they, they're putting him in the stew. He's going to eat him. That's what it is, right? He's going to cook Santa. I don't, I actually don't think so. I just think he was just going to kill. Him. Okay. Cause this is a little where a few of my ratings drop down because the, when I think about the, think about that, I'm like, I'm not quite sure if there was the clear intentions with that. So how you were talking about the padding with the kids, I can, that makes a lot more sense to me now that he wasn't in the original. Cause you can sort of see where they've tried to shoehorn that in just a little bit. It's kind of the same thing with Frank and Winnie. Just in this one, they just, Oogie Boogie is the extra one. But I think the character itself is so memorable that it doesn't feel that much fillery as the other movie did for me for a bit. Okay. But again, evil, I guess like a seven. Seven? Yeah. He's not really six, seven, something like that. He's not really, he's not more evil than anybody else in that town, honestly. No. Just that he might be more jealous that he just wants to like, you know, off Santa Claus just so he can say like, I'm the one who did it. But Yeah, I'd, I'd go like a 6.5 to a seven because sort of like what I was saying, I feel like if Oogie was in charge of Halloween Town, it definitely wouldn't be as much fun for Halloween as what Jack sort of does. So I think it would be a lot, a lot scarier, a lot more. It'd be more like The Purge or something on each Halloween. I think you would love Have that. Have you played all the Kingdom Hearts games? Oh, many times. Let's bring it. Let's talk about the lore of Kingdom Hearts. No, we'll no. Sit here for another hour. I'm honestly, I, I honestly, the only one that I know like for completely is the first one because that's okay. the one I played like the whole way through. I played the second one too, but I, I didn't like the controllers. 
everybody hates the, the first ones controllers but i actually you can't jump those. he jumps with his knees outwards and it's awkward it's always so awkward it's always so <laughs> no but what i'm saying is like i don't know if there's like uh any more expanding on the story in the later ones i i own kingdom hearts 3 but i have never actually played it so don't i don't know if they ever expand on this on the boogie boogie things because he's the main bad guy in in, in the games right yeah he's in part that, of that, that level yeah, he's part of the evil council of villains that are trying to take Kingdom Hearts. And I guess they talk more about um, making the artificial hearts. So what you're sort of talking about, Dr. Finkelstein and the mad scientist, that's really interesting because they do make that mechanical heart and talk about what is the essence. So I guess they expand on it subtly in that way, but not the greater lore as what they do with as much as they do for, say, like Big Hero 6, which is the sequel. They pretty much pick up where the movie left off. I think they just sort of pat it out because you're dropped into the middle of the movie, if that makes sense, especially for the first one. And then the yeah, second one. That, that's the part I remember. Yeah. And then the second one, it's the other side of that where you're in Christmas Town. You know, there was actually like a, like a sequel game. On Game uh, Boy? I just read that on the Wikipedia last night or something. Yeah, it was it was Game I don't think it was Game Boy. Game Boy Advance, maybe? Yeah. I remember it being in color. Yeah. Or was it a PS game? There was a game that it was a story sequel to Nightmare for Christmas, but I don't know if I did play it ever. Hmm. I had never played it. I read that on the wiki last night when that's interesting. And I don't ever remember seeing like a cover of it or anything. And I remember a lot of Disney games. Not that one. I remember I saw a trade. Actually, I think it might not even be Game Boy. I think it was like PlayStation. Okay. Nightmare Before Christmas. I keep getting Nightmare on Elm Street when I get like the searches. I've been saying Nightmare on Elm Street so much. I'm like, what should we say Before Christmas? But that being said, Jack Skellington could do a very good Freddy Krueger impersonation, especially with the long spaghetti arms from the first one. Yeah. Boogie's Revenge. That's it. PlayStation 2. Oh, interesting. That's what I was thinking. Like, plot. A year after the film, Jack Skellington once again feels Halloween has become dull and repetitive. Oh, come on, Jack. <laughs> We've been he talks with Dr. Finkelstein about improving the next Halloween with new scares and discoveries. The doctor gives Jack the soul robber, a green whip-like mm-hmm. weapon. He then leaves town to look for new frights, leaving the doctor in charge and the equally bored lock, shock, and barrel take advantage of Jack's absence to revive Oogie Boogie who immediately begins plotting his revenge. On December 23rd, Sally, a prisoner of Dr. Finkelstein's laboratory, manages to send a magical paper airplane to find Jack and warn him what has happened. What year is that? Is the year. The year was... Uh, 2005. Oh, so like mid, mid-generation? Yeah, mid to PlayStation 2. Yeah. I don't know. It, the story does not sound very good. But they do say it was officially the continuation, although it sounds more like a, a rehash. Yes. <laughs> oh, I don't like Halloween again. Was, Come on, Jack. Come on. We've, we've already done the heart and all that sort of thing. We've been through this. <laughs> we did imagine, the hard work already. I imagine Lock, Shock and Barrel getting in their bathtub. That bathtub is also very cool. I don't like the song, but that image of them in the bathtub that crawls, that is awesome. That is something else that I did not learn until like a lot later. Like the voices of Lock, Shock, and Barrel. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I just assume it were they were children. But then when I when I finally realized it was like it is actually Jack and Sally. Yes. And Pee Wee Herman. Yes. <laughs> and that's not the one why? you would think would be downcasted. Those little kids. It's not what you would think you would oh, go for. Yeah, and also like then I was like, okay, so definitely Barrel has to be Pee Wee Herman. You know, like the short stuffy one. No, it's the Devil Kid. I'm sadness. So, quick question, quick game that I play. Did Kelly cry during the film? Do you reckon during Nightmare Before Christmas is one that gets me? Happy cries, sad cries, tears up, anything? First watch or like on a regular basis? More regular. I'd probably say in the most recent watch, which I watched November. I'd say yes, a little bit. A little bit? get nearly to the point when he's at the end and he's been shot down and he's in the graveyard and he's being cradled because like that bit I'm a little like oh feel bad that he's you know dreams of being destroyed even though he's doing terrible things but maybe it's just because like I have listened to the Sally song so much already like that one doesn't get me as much I feel the emotion but doesn't like reach the eyeballs to cry just yet 
So no. No. Yeah. It's probably going to be one of the rounds. <laughs> Practically perfect in every way. Uh, any random thoughts that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, we've talked about the feat of animation, how influential it was. Zero, um, Zero is a great, uh, a great yes. character. It's, the, it's also the same thing, not as much as with the ghost, because the ghosts appear faster, but like Zero also, like I don't even know how they did that, because they actually had a Zero puppet that they moved and stuff, and he looks translucent, so I don't really know how that effect was achieved, but I love it. Oh, the, the fluttering of his body is insane. Yeah. I think maybe he's a mix of animation and puppet because I, I do know there's like a puppet head of Zero somewhere. Uh, let me think, like, all the minor characters. I love the fact that they use the characters in the song and then they don't forget about them. They keep showing up. Like, uh, I am the one hiding under your stairs, fingers like snakes and spiders in my hair. And then, like, you see the guy come back or like that you know who's really creepy i don't even know what the, the name of those russian dolls are like the, the, Ma the ones matryoshka dolls yeah matryoshka yes there's the guy who with the hat that has the small guy and the smaller guy <laughs> and then they they are like they keep showing up and they're always creepy and yeah. then they do the the one thing with the scorpion inside of the matryoshka doll <laughs> but i i absolutely agree it's the citizens of halloween town so it's not yes. just like a, a normal animated way, like you've got your background players, like they're lived in. They are, they are the chorus, as we sort of said before, to what is happening to the town. And they participate. They're in the town meetings, things like that. They, um, the fish lady, I love her design and her voice and everything. She's great. And the little kids who, when Jack Skellington comes out of the fountain for This is Halloween, you know, they're the ones looking at it, like they're the, throughout yeah, the, the kid, the, the fat kid with no yeah. eyes. Yeah, and the bat, bat kid, I guess. With a big head. With a big yeah. head. Yeah. And but, they're they they're not like in the background because they, they give them lines. Like everyone yes. has a moment where they add something to the story. Even like the creature from the black lagoon, they can maybe it's the head I found in the lake. Yes. And like the werewolf, they just give him this plaid shirt. I have no idea why, but I appreciate it. It's very grunge, very of the times. Like, why? Let's just do it. It's great. There's actually something to that because the the Lego uh, werewolf also has a black shirt. I think it's because they're supposed to be like woodsmen's, like you know, like. Oh yeah. What's what's the word in English for that? Yeah, like a cut trees. A lumberjack. Lumberjack. Yeah. Yes, they're supposed to be lumberjacks or something before they come become werewolves and they wear the plaid shirts. But there's always like the plaid shirt werewolves. Why not? Just cause. <laughs> but you're right. He looks very grungy. <laughs> and I guess that's sort of like, it's, this is one of the Tim Burton's that push forward that it's more acceptable to like the spooky things. Um, and coming out of the time with Batman Returns and the Atmos family, like Wednesday and Morticia are like our iconic female characters to me. That, that movie also, like the Adams Family movies from the 90s are so good. You see where they can, they have to embrace the dark a little bit. Like yes. these, some of these characters are made to live in the dark part. So if you try to sanitize the whole thing, it just ends up being feeling very bleh. Yeah, like you've got to go Which there. Which is also with why the... I never got into the Transylvania, Hotel Transylvania movies, because I feel they are very, very shallow and scary. They don't go anywhere close to the line, like what Adam's family do. So like I yeah. like in, in values, they really show when they get, the kids go to the camp that it's being normal that's weird. It's not being weird. It's different. It's, it's the normalcy. Uh, I haven't used the term yet, but goth almost aesthetic that was really yeah. pushed through that that early 90s and, and is enduring because, as you said, it's still a hot topic. It had the resurgence with the emo scene that I got to be a part of in the, in the mid-2000s. So that's like part and of the enduring think, legacy. I actually think it really works for the, this kind of films like because when you try... The Nightmare for Christmas is a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. So when you try to, to, you know, reach this, it's so good, but it's also a little scary thing for children. Like sometimes animation in, in particularly stop animation is the way to go yeah. because you get real movies like Coraline and you get like Paranorman and they just just like even one that is actually CGI, but Monster House, I really appreciate it. I think more, more, more people sure. should watch that movie. 
those have that little star, like they go a little dark, they go a little to that thing that's going to scare the kid a bit. But that animation is like their safe zone because they know it's not real. It's something familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you go like to trying to do something like that in, in live action, then you end up with movies, which by the way, I love as an adult and I enjoy when I was a kid, but I'm weird. Like Return to Us. Yeah. Or like yeah. the or like the witches. I was gonna say the that's, witches. That's the one I was gonna bring up. That's absolutely or even Willy yeah. Wonka is something that stands out in my head. So when they're in that boat and they're seeing all that imagery and Willy Wonka just is deadpan and starts singing, it's creepy. But you need that to sort of um give that little bit of fear and to know it's okay and you can be spooked and overcome it and things like that. So I do So are are you Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory out of the two movies? I'm oh Willy Wonka for sure. No, I, I like Charlie better, but it's Tim Burton, so it makes sense to me. Makes sense. I think the songs. I think the songs are better. I think Deep Roy as every one uh, as every Oompa Loompa is brilliant. Yes. I think the kids are better actors. I like a lot of parts of the 2005 one, especially because it plays closer to the book. So you've got like Mr. Bucket in there and the toothpaste factory and things like that. The thing that I don't like about it is a lot of the Christopher Lee dad dentistry stuff. That's the part that I'm like, ah, shut it down. But the when yeah, in the factory, like the, dentist, the dentist yeah. thing is kind of... They didn't need that. That's extra. Yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Like when you can tell when they are uh, adding things that are not great. But can, can you imagine like Gene Wilder doing that version? That not with that like, voice. Not with that voice. Not in that voice. I'm just saying. <laughs> put Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka and then leave everything else with the Burton version. So any, any last final thoughts you'd like to surmise? And uh, a final score out of 10. Well, it's 10 out of 10. I mean, it is it is top 10 movie of all time for me. I don't know. Maybe it's a, not an objective point of view, but I could understand somebody saying like Coraline is the superior movie. If you compare it like straight up, I can see that. I don't share that opinion, but I can see that, especially if you saw that one first. Mm-hmm. But... Some people watch and they're like, eh, it's fine. It's like, no, there, there's it's magic better than here. Fine. Absolutely. They've there's, captured something. There's, there's something that they capture when they made this movie. There's something that just reaches deep down into, into childhood fears and childhood Christmas memories. And, and it's a lovely story and it has a good message and it has great memorable characters. So... I don't know. I just wish everybody gives it a chance at some point. The problem with when movies start getting older and older, uh, not so much with animation, but more with other movies, it's just like people don't go to the effort to go look. And seeing that this one is 30 freaking years old, like I don't want it to get lost. So my, I saw it to my kid for the first time this year. And yeah. he said like, he said like, I liked it. It was okay. I was like, it's more than that. Well, okay. Let's watch it again when you're six. Let's see what happens. Maybe he just needs to reach the age we sort of were when you see it, and then you'd be like, oh, wow, my dad was really onto this, like when you're sort of those teenage years and you see yeah. it a bit more. But um, I actually I- love the fact that it works. To me, it works on both ways because it's simple enough to keep children entertained, yes. and it's uh, subtle enough that to give you an extra layer of message if you are like a person who wants to get more out of movies. I, th- I think it will keep its cult status. Um, every year they show it at the immersive cinema here. Um, so I got to see it on the big screen last year. And so you appreciate that animation and that soundtrack just even more when it's really just blown up on the big screen. We all know like there's some animated films, like it, it can be the small screen, you're fine. But this one in particular, when you can see all those little micro movements and really appreciate it. So I think I it will like- have a lasting impact. It will keep I playing. actually really like the fact that the building where I live, we have a screening room. It's not the most, the biggest screen, but it's like a big screen mm. for, and it has like 12 recliner chairs and you can rent it out. Lovely. So every, since that, since we, I mean, I did it the first year I moved here, then we got COVID and I couldn't do it in 2020, but they let me do it this year. So I did it again. And yeah, it just, it's just, it just works. Yes. Because you need that, that immersive feeling of being of seeing it and then hearing it loud and, like, that's what sucks you in. So you're not distracted by a phone or things like that or looking down or looking around, like, when it's on that big screen. I, I play really... my VHS tapes 
copy so much it kind of started being worn in the end it, it's wow. kind of rough like i really i'm really glad we have better technology than that now this one i also find like you said that on vhs i find i've seen the first half up to kidnap the santa claus a lot but the second half not so much i don't know why if you've got a similar experience or you've just watched the whole way through but i don't know maybe it's because i just really like those those three songs with the this is halloween jack's lament and what's this i sort of sort of get up to that but i forget the ending sometimes I forget the Oogie Boogie uh, scene at the end and I forget they're being shot down by the tank. So when I saw it in the cinema, I was like, oh, this happens? Like I always have a little bit of that with this film. <laughs> uh, well, I usually just watch it the whole way through because it's like an hour or 15 minutes. It's not even very long. But I get it. I mean, I, I get replaying the parts you like the best. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my final score would be a nine. Um, as I said, it's those sort of the ending part that I, I don't quite enjoy as much the the um Santa Claus and the escape and and things like that with the Oogie Boogie in his lair I think that's just I a, feel a tiny like in the end I feel in the end like no movie is truly perfect like True. there's always you can nitpick but uh to me it's more of a feel than yes. a brain thing yes like I can sit right here and pick apart like 20 things out of this movie that don't work or start more like discussing the logic of, of travel between the, the <laughs> teleport the teleportation trees or whatever and say like see that doesn't make sense i can do the same thing for back to the future but mm -hmm. in the end when i watch them the feeling they give me they feel perfect so oh they are what a lovely way to wrap it up thank you so much for joining me today nazar i really appreciate it this is just a wonderful conversation to have so uh You're anything welcome. you'd like to plug quickly watch the videos <laughs> don't have, we are not posting as much things lately because you know life is hard and mm -hmm. christmas is complicated but we also like are trying to pick some things back up i don't know if you've been watching monologuing but we we came up with the concept of that as kind of a joke like who will be brave enough to try this crazy thing and what can we make them read in the tiebreakers but somewhere along the line it just turned great like the last two or three episodes have been like insanely good a lot of people Dude. come from that theater background i think that love movies and are in the movie trivia community so i think that's what adds to it like i'm too scared yeah. to ever try it because my public speaking even in my hosting i'm still learning but a lot of people come from that that acting theatrical background and love that so i i it has been on fire lately yeah it's uh Honestly, it's, it's surprising, uh, especially the, uh, it kind of pained me that Douglas Castle versus uh, Kirk Kowalski episode because they were so good in every mm. single round. It was so close. And then uh, in the in the last one we did, Amaru just came like, and he destroyed in that like second round. Like, it, it was an amazing thing to watch. We also have other stuff on it. We have the podcast with the music thing for it bar. He likes music, so he posts music stuff. Oh, and movie, movie games. games. Yeah, you know. yep. Movie games is great. Uh, I'll bring it back in around February after we have time to actually write more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Zoe. It's good to be a faction in trivia also. <gasps> Indeed. Next year, big things are happening. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. See you next time.